This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Kranti Panam. He has 20 years experience across business, technology, real estate sectors. Uh, he's the director of capital at Wild Oak Capital. Uh, he's had numerous businesses, serial entrepreneur, uh, and, and a lot of tech services as well, large uh, organizations that they've actually exited also. Now, uh, you know, today we're going to talk about all the things he's learned uh, in those industries and business, right? And how he's bringing those to the real estate industry as well. Uh, and, and some of it, man, some of it we've talked about often and, and some of it not. Uh, but oftentimes we talk about these things and it, it, it seems like something that we, we know we should do, right? But we don't actually get it done. Uh, and it's so crucial. I, I'm a, uh, I'm as guilty as anyone uh, at these things, but you're going to hear Conti talk about some of these things. And I hope that you'll take it to heart and apply these things today in your business. Kranti, welcome to the show. Honored to have you on. I, I look forward to the conversation because even just a little bit beforehand, what we were talking about, I feel like some of the places that you are an expert in, man, we we are we struggle in the real estate world uh, in a big way. And you've brought that from building numerous companies and doing well uh, there. And now how you're innovating and bringing that to the real estate world, uh, I think is is crucially important that we're innovating as well, right? We're often operating like we were 20 years ago, I think. Uh, and, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to learning from you. Uh, give us a little more about those experiences. Uh, you know, I know you've been in business 20 plus years. Uh, give us a little more there and what you're up to, your focus now. Sure. You know, I originally, just a quick background about myself. You know, I'm originally from India, came here to do my master's degree about 20 years ago. So fortunate to basically do an undergrad degree in engineering and then come out and do master's degree. What I do right now has nothing to do with what I went to school for. So I actually always evolved in life, uh, came to base, uh, did my master's and got a job in the tech world, became basically a tech programmer slash a person who would set up SAP systems, which are business ERP systems that run major corporations. So got exposed to actually business processes, how systems work, and basically the role of an external consultant coming in and designing or redesigning uh, a whole system for an enterprise company. So that's how I started my original career uh, in the tech world. Obviously, figured that after a while, after a couple of years of doing it, I basically figured, hey, I was really good at this. This is what I should have done, not gone to an engineering school, but maybe gone to a business school. So I figured, you know, let me go do this uh, on my own. I wanted to basically, in a way, disrupt and change the way tech services was kind of being delivered at that point um, and actually make it much more customer centric, make it much more what what do you really need rather than actually increasing my billable hours is um, what I kind of figured out. So I, I went to my boss then who was and I was working for a small tech services company in SAP. I went to my boss then and basically said, let's um i want to quit i want to do this on my own he basically came out and said you know you're 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 really a rookie and you don't know how to do this let's partner you're really good at you know selling and getting customers and you know all of the other processes i think i can run the back end of the operations why don't you basically partner with it, with me it was a no-brainer for me at that point because not having a lot of business experience and i come from a business family my wife comes from a business family so obviously 
the obvious um, mentality for me was go and figure something that I could do on my own, you know. So I wanted to work for myself. And that bug has always been there. Um, I, I started uh, the tech services company. Three years into it, we sold it to a, a little smaller, a bigger company. I exited. And after that, I was you're kind of stuck with uh, what, what to do next. And I started a technology staffing firm, which basically provides um, technology staffing services to a number of different companies and serve and you know part of the reason was i figured you know i've done the services play i want to kind of get into something easier and kind of take my take time to figure what my next steps are the staffing company actually did really really well part of the reason is all my learnings that came from the first experience i was able to use it into my staffing um company i was 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 instrumental acquiring a lot of customers kind of grew that to a bigger business and three to four years into it i figured i had to do something in the solution space which i originally came from so we started a company called apicero with my business partner um in four years grew it to over two thousand people exited it last year now basically going on to um set up a few other entities that support the technology services in snowflake and data and AI, and um, also started a real estate fund, which, uh, which is predominantly multifamily, where we basically, it's uh, through my company called Four Oaks Capital, which is the syndication, real estate syndication firm, and also started a private equity firm to invest in companies, uh, predominantly technology services companies that work in that space. So that's a quick background about my my past and experience and what I'm doing right now. Yeah, I love the business background and then coming into real estate as well and being able to apply those things in this business because I don't feel like I said earlier, I feel like often we're lacking, right? In in the uh-huh. uh, in that regard. Um, you know, Kranti, speak to some of that though, the, the things you've learned uh, in, in growing businesses, a number of businesses quickly, even exiting them and, you know, and obviously just innovating in ways uh, that you've had, like you had to, right, to grow that fast in some of those businesses. How how is that applying to, say, your real estate business now? Let's talk about some of those systems and processes that have been uh, beneficial or helpful, or uh, how you're going to see them be helpful even in the future for your real estate uh, portfolio or business. Sure, and there's very when you look at it, there's a lot of similarities, right, between the both. Both of them are businesses. The The fallacy of the real estate side, obviously, is especially, and I'm talking very specific to the real estate syndication side, and this is not a knock on anyone. It's just uh, what I've done is, you know, I, the way I got into it is I started investing with a few syndications. People always pitch deals to me, and I went out and basically, you know, went, went and put money in those deals. But what I started noticing is, all of the other stuff was good. You know, they would respond, the emails would come through, all of that. But they never, I mean, most companies in this space do not operate like a business. You know, you, in a business, you wake up, you basically, you start with your day with a, a set of things that everyone has roles and responsibilities. And, you know, you build a structure, you build a process, you build systems around everything. What I started noticing in a lot of syndication companies, it was one or two people doing everything. And then the rest of it 
would kind of fall apart. This works until the deal works. The day the deal does not work, all of this really hits the fan. And I've, I've seen it firsthand. And I was, when I came into this, my, my biggest goal was to make Four Oaks Capital, which is a real estate investment firm, basically operate as a company you know, have a, an org chart, have a structure, have basic responsibilities, work with, um, work with good people, hire good employees. And we're on the path. I'm not saying our journey is done, but I think that's what we're basically building towards is a sustainable long-term enterprise that basically will live on even after, you know, the partners are there or not. And that's the fallacy of most syndication companies, right? They're not able to really clearly point out any systems or processes obviously there's softwares softwares do a lot of good work but if you don't run your business and i'm a big believer of data and running business by numbers and information and most people really don't look at it right and most most of the time and most and the podcast that i have was basically to started to help bring out the fact that most business owners really don't look at the information as they have to they basically depend on pnl or balance sheet or you know sales reports and things like that but your business is a lot more than that right there's employees there's basic ar ap things that you always need to have your tap on and most business owners really don't know what kpis to even look for so and i think that's the fallacy of most real estate um, companies is they will send you a report where they basically show investors a few KPIs. But as a, a real estate in company, there's so much more, right? There's basically asset management, there's basically debt that you're, you're working on. And, you know, it's blowing up right now everywhere with debt market, you know, with the interest rates going up, a lot of people have no control in terms of if their if their you know caps are expiring what do you do so you really want and that's what i want to build towards is have a have systems and processes with people that are responsible to do it have a pure acquisitions team have the asset management teams and really work with all of those teams to build certain kpis that they operate on a daily basis weekly basis monthly basis and yearly basis and we we basically incentivize each of these teams to perform based on when they hit their metrics and you know it's very uncommon obviously if you study the big syndication companies that's what they've done well compared to you know smaller ones and i think the the limiting factor for most smaller syndication companies is a lack of processes either in capital raising this or yeah. asset management you know for sure, operations, capital. I mean, uh, almost all those departments, we lack the systems and processes so often. Uh, you know, you said so many things there that are that are helpful. But I mean, building a sustainable enterprise, right? Thinking about uh, how a normal business is operating and built versus uh, just trying to operate the piece. You know, just thinking about buying the next deal, right? And, and building the actual team. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, you talked about having the org chart, the responsibilities laid out. It seems, uh, I, I think oftentimes we feel like that's so basic, right? But oftentimes we still don't do it, right? Yeah. We still don't have those things done. Uh, and I'm as guilty as anybody. I mean, I feel like we're always trying to work on those things or uh, improving 
uh, you know, what, that everybody knows what they're responsible for, right? Or, or changing it a little bit here and there, or almost on a monthly basis, thinking through those things. Uh, but, you know, for you, you know, and I love how you laid out, you know, KPIs are, are obviously so important in running a business on those numbers, even incentivizing the teams. Uh, you know, can you lay out maybe, so, you know, how you develop the KPIs? I get questions about that often. You know, it's like, Whitney, what KPIs are most important for you? What are the main numbers? Well, what about the, the you know, investor relations team versus the uh, asset management team? Or, you know, how do you think through some of that or even create some of those KPIs? Yeah, so, you know, the easiest area, and we'll talk about any of the areas that you want, but the easiest area for KPIs would be asset management, Right. Are you within asset management? There's different aspects of asset management. Obviously, are you having a delinquency problem? Are you having a leasing problem? Are are you having, you know, are you having other problems with capex? You know, are you not finding the contractor? So, if you can, and it's not your Monday morning quarterback report that you just look at and say, okay, this is a high level display of where my particular asset is at but also kind of drill down to the level of, hey, how many people are actually walking through the, through the door? How many applications are we getting? And how many are actually qualifying? The assets that we buy are C, C plus, B minus asset class. So those are very, very important to us because that tells us, are we doing a good job in turning the property? Is our CapEx meeting the norms? We're trying to raise the, the profile of the tenant and we're trying to churn the property profile, right? That helps tell us. And that, and we have a marketing team that actually goes out to market the property, not just through the traditional channels, but actually putting out even Facebook, you know, Instagram, all of that stuff. All of these metrics basically indicate that there's a problem either in our CapEx or in our marketing teams where we're not drawing enough foot traffic or we're not drawing enough uh, people into our CRM. So we implemented AI CRM, which basically you could you could basically schedule your own walkthrough, right? How many people are actually using it is a big important metric, right? Is it really needed for the tenant profile that we have? We've implemented it. Now we're actually studying whether people are using it and whether our tenant profile has is really up to the point that they're comfortable just scheduling it through an AI assistant or do they need a real person still, right? A lot of inf- a lot of data that goes into it will help save the costs where we're spending, you know, time, money, effort in implementing that system, but really is it giving the ROI? You know, we also have an AI system that kind of sends automatic um, text messages to say, hey, your rent's coming up due in two days. It's due now, you know, pay without paying a fine or in the next by if you pay by fifth, all of that stuff. And we're still studying the impact of having those systems kind of play out and see if that improves a collection that helps with better interaction with the customer, um, which is a tenant. And then is it creating a community um, within the within the property? Or are we just alleviating these people by doing certain things that we're doing? Right? So all of this kind of ties in. And these are not your top level KPIs. Your top level KPIs will not change. I mean, are you, what's your occupancy level? What's your what's your delinquency level? What's your you know outstanding? And then basically have what is your year over year rent increases? Right. This is that next level of information that drives all of the other stuff. 
right? And most people just focus on the top level, really don't get down to the lower level because your occupancy goes up only if you have foot traffic. You know, your foot traffic goes up only if your CapEx that you've done to the property is kind of converting or your marketing that you're doing to the pro- for the property is actually drawing the results. Yeah, it's helpful. I, I was reading a book recently. Uh, it helps you think, I'm trying to remember the name of it right off, but ultimately the author's talking about what's your, your most important number uh, mm-hmm. and drivers. He's, he calls it like a mind philosophy. I think it's like, you know, your most important number and, and the drivers thinking through that. But I mean, ultimately KPIs, right? And, and like you said, you got you to gotta drill down. You know, if you think about uh, the numbers that might drive me and my business partner, are not going to be the same numbers that drive our, our maintenance men, right, at, at the properties, right? Or even our investor relations, you know, person, uh, it's, it's going to be very different. And so thinking through KPIs that, you know, at a, each uh, almost department level, right, that all yeah. filter up to the to the main KPI. Correct. And, and that's where it's important to kind of set up that structure. Obviously, when you're small, it's tough to set up department-wise KPIs. But you if you can think through all of them, and actually get them to a point where you can hand it off. It could be, you know, people, it could be some, It could be an employee, it could be someone that you hired just for that particular asset, but someone's actually looking at it, someone's paying attention to it, and it's, you know, it's getting the due attention. All it comes down to now, especially the next three, four years, and even later, the syndication business is an asset management business compared, and I think it that's all it comes down to. Someone fails at running the asset, and if you come in and do a good job, I think you're, the money is there. It just it's all, it's on the table. Are you going to take it or leave it on the table? Depends on your skills and abilities and your mentality, um, and that's what that's all it comes down to. And most people just fail. And this is the other reason that I've found that most people fail. People who come into syndication, the mindset is, I want to run a business. I have a side job. This is going to be a side hustle. It will become a main hustle if it goes up. They, they take a lot of, they put a lot of effort up front. There's a lot of time and uh, there's a lot of time commitment. But once they start doing first deal, second deal, at some point that falls off and they just run it. And at some points, you know, and I have a, I have a similar situation with Four Oaks Capital where, you know, we bought a deal we thought was a home run in tertiary market, Clemson. We all thought we could manage it during COVID. But what happened was being a tertiary market in COVID, there's a big employee shortage, which we couldn't figure out how to solve. We, 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 changed, we basically let go of two different property companies, property management companies, brought on the third company. The asset was going down the drain. We, we saw the numbers dip in. So we took it in-house. That put a lot of pressure back on us because we had partners that, you know, that were part of the team, but were obviously not, not ready to take on that role as asset managers to run the property on a daily basis, which actually, which is a very, very tough job. You know, if you're bringing property management in house, you need to have skill, you need to have processes, you need to have SOPs, you need the whole nine yards. And when we did it, we had nothing. So what it basically did is it put a lot of, a lot of stress on the partnership itself. And we, you know, ended up losing a couple partners because of that, right? So my point is when you have three, four guys come together 
all from non-business backgrounds, were employees before, do not see a, a business, do not see basically, when you see only good times like in COVID and you don't see tough times, and when tough times hit, you're gonna, that partnership is gonna like crumble. But the good part is we were able to, you know, it was one of our best assets that we were able to turn around, you know, return money uh, to investors at 25, 26% average annual return. The, at the end, it did fine, but the lessons that we learned from it was if we don't kind of do our legwork ahead when we get into deals and we don't understand the market, and we understood the market very well, it's just when COVID hit with the, with the employment situation, it was a curveball and the curveball basically blew up the partnership. Yeah. Yeah. I heard a quote just recently about the uh, wind uh, strengthening the root systems of trees. You know, I thought it was a neat analogy of, you know, the, the wind comes and it either strengthens the roots or, or, or the tree falls over. Right. Yeah, <laughs> it does. If you never experience the wind, then you, then you're going to fall down. Right. Uh, you know, when it, when it does come, but, uh, uh, but, uh, you know, Grunty, I think it's a, a great example there, uh, in numerous ways uh, through that process and, and you all taking it in house, importance of operations, uh, importance of processes, uh, and appreciate your just transparency in that deal and the operations of it and importance. Uh, what about, you know, speak to, um, um, some, I know you're, you're big on tech and big background in tech, uh, speak to some tech that's helped you all, uh, to manage the, the KPIs, even from asset management or across different divisions, or even as you, as the leader, you know, what's, what's been that technology that's helping you all now, and maybe even some ways you all are using AI. So as far as, um, from a technology standpoint, you know, all of our assets right now are, are in the Atlanta market. Um, we use one property management company, which, um, for us has, you know, luckily has done well. Um, the KPIs that you know, most of the most of the stuff that um, that has been built from a KPI dashboard standpoint are built basically by writing code within Google Docs and, you know, writing uh, Python code in the back end that draws information from um, from our property management system. Right. So that's what we we predominantly use. Um, it gives us, we like, the way we look at reports is it gives us historical information about everything in terms of what's our, what's, what's basically our delinquencies been, what's our occupancy been, what, what, you know, even from the fact that in the last week, eight weeks, how's the trend been in terms of leasing, in terms of occupancy, in terms of rent increases when we do renewals, all of that stuff, Right. And that really, really changed the way we looked at information that, that I wanted to go down to the next level where, you know, the asset management team can look at, you know, make ready boards and things like, you know, when, when did the tenant move out to when the unit was trashed out to when the, the, when the unit basically was turned to when it was rented, all of this information rests somewhere. But for us to basically get it in a, in a templatized way where we could run the report by the particular property and or combine all our property vacancies to see what's going on. Hey, do we bring an external contractor? Do we bring more than one guy? You know, do we and when we buy these assets, we're buying them for a reason. You know, we're going in there to, you know, either renovate 70% uh, of the property or do 
exterior renovations or interior renovations. So CapEx management is a big deal for us. Yeah. And building that reports, especially using, and we don't use a, a system per se, it's a home built, homegrown um, software that kind of got developed. Um, division is at, at some point, if we could put it into an app and maybe open it to the external world, it'll probably yield results. But for now, we're basically using for it. For, and what really helps us is it's one system, right? It's one asset management system. It's it's one it's one property management system company, right? When you have multiple, and we've we've been in situations where we were, in a, um, you know, Yardi or you know all of the other systems. When when you we use Appfolio right now, but and Appfolio is you know comparatively compared to either Yardi or other systems, um, I think a little better in terms of the technology or at least in terms of information that we pull for using our code into our dashboards, I think it, it just is easier. The APIs are a little more um, more convenient. You know, it's a little more futuristic uh, through that process, but it becomes complex if you don't have that kind of software or if you don't have that reporting dashboard, if you've not made that investment into developing that system or going out and buying another system, right? Whatever it is, you just need to have a consistent way of looking at information across your portfolio. And that was important. And that's a really important thing for us. Yeah, I would say you know, most of the listeners can't go write code like that, right? And make something like that happen. However, I think you summed it down there. You do have to have just some centralized place to see the data, right? Uh, and and hopefully lots of historical data so you can see trends. And because uh, if you're not tracking it uh, or looking at it, right? Uh, oftentimes we track things. We track so many things at times. I feel like that we track nothing, right? You know, we yeah. look at something, you know, uh, and so it's like, man, do do I and does the does the team know what's the most important numbers, right? Uh, and I think it's helpful uh, for sure. Any other ways that you all are using uh, AI, um, whether it's on the capital raising side or the operation side of the, of the deals, anything? Uh, so we basically out of the norm. I mean, as far as capital raising side, we use we you know, AI a lot. I mean, we've used AI before in terms of not just chat GPT content, but you know, we've used um, AI for over and when chat GPT came out, it was like, Oh, my gosh, this is great. It's great because it's free. This thing has been there forever. It's just when people realize it's free, and it was, you know, it it's it creates content like no other. But we've used that for over two years. We were using a different AI content creator for the longest time. And I think there is innovation now on that end to actually set up the drip campaigns in a way that they actually can work on their own. And they can really work through, and we use active campaign to use our for our marketing in terms of you know running campaigns and you know being in front of investors and and all and sending out updates and all that but there are there is a lot of innovation that's going that is coming out that i've seen we've not implemented it but i think which is very very powerful in terms of actually automating a lot of the work that our content marketing uh teams are going to be doing, but we're not using any of those on our capital raising end yet. But I think over the next, I think over the next six to nine months, 
adaption to that is going to be critical and key in um, moving forward because I think everyone's going to be doing it. It's just a matter of it's a, it's a matter of time with uh, with what's going on, and I I think there's a lot of abilities on the Chat GPT side, but there's a lot of downside of using it too, and I think where AI is going to go is go it's going to not just be generative AI, but it's going to be general intelligence AI, where it's going to be artificial general intelligence, where AI knows, you know, Whitney is this customer profile, this is his investment thesis. And these are the type of information that he he would like to consume and actually make it much more, you know, investor personalized centric, stuff, yeah. personalized investor centric, where that's where the artificial general intelligence direction is going to go. And not just, you know, throwing out a ton of content, which you may like, or you may not. If I send you private equity information of investment in my, in my private equity fund, which invests in companies, you may not be even open to it, right? So really understanding that to that level and really t tailoring it to uh, your needs is probably what is the next evolution. Yeah, no, that's interesting to think through. Uh, there's so much AI talk right now, right? And how to use it in, in different ways. Uh, all right, Conti, uh, uh, shifting gears just a little bit. I love talking to operators like yourself uh, and who are doing big big things in this business and industry, but I always like to ask, you know, your expectation over the next six, 12 months, right, for the real estate market. I know none of us know for sure what's going to happen. However, what we do believe is going to happen affects uh, what we're doing, right, or buying right. or selling or whatnot. Uh, so what are your predictions or, you know, and how is that affecting, you know, what you all are doing in the day-to-day? So we did, we were very, very active this year. Um, we bought, I think our two biggest deals were earlier in the year. We, we still are looking for deals. My, my big thing is I think the way I look at it is I think this is the time to buy, but you're not buying it for today's numbers. We never buy a deal for what it is currently, right? That's the nature of our investment. I, I wish we go to a point where we just buy A-class assets and they're always nice looking, but we never buy a deal that actually is makes sense today as it stands. We we buy it for what it'll be in a couple of years, and that's the value at play that we're used to doing. And my prediction is if the if the deal depending on again, there's three factors that I always say where the deal works. It's the debt, location, and the price. And right now, the pricing and the debt are not in not yet in line for most deals, right? They will be in line maybe two, three, maybe a, three or four quarters down the road. People that will buy right now will look like geniuses, right? Um, the rates will come down eventually, but it is going to be longer for, it's going to be higher for longer. And I think a lot of predictions on the rates have all gone wrong, right? You could look at every prediction that most people have made and everyone's basically, you know, I don't think anyone ever predicted this, you know, it's just out of ordinary. And I think at some point this has to start coming down. There eventually will be a slowdown. I mean, it's, it's inevitable that the money is going to run out uh, after a point and people will start uh, pulling back a little bit. So I think, if the deal's right, if you feel confident about the location, I think if you can, if it cash flows for you to cover your liabilities and your expenses, and if you can hold it for longer, 
you always will come out on top, right? That's the best part about real estate. If you have, if you're well capitalized, or if you have a debt structure that's not going to be prohibitive for you to get out, you're always going to do well. Like even if you bought a property in 2006, seven, eight, now you look like a genius because that probably went up, you know, went up in value. But it's just your opportunity cost that you have to take into mind. But I, I am personally pretty bullish uh, that, you know, there's a thing that buy high, sell low, you know, or buy low, sell high. Most people bought high and now, you know, you, you have deals that are coming out at discounted price because the right, you know, rate caps have become, uh, uh, you know, right. there's no way to make sense of the, of, of the debt payment because of that. And there's going to be those deals. You got to have the the cash to weather the storm, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, uh, for sure. What about uh, what's your best source for meeting new investors right now? So best source for I come from the tech world, right? So my world has a lot of well, my investor world has a lot of employees, friends, families, um, referrals. I think my my best source at this point is still referrals. Are, you know, through our existing investor base that has gone full cycle on our deals. You know, there's nothing like returning money to investors, right? If you right. actually do your job and if you, even if the deal goes bad, um, if you do your job and you, you, they see that you, you're being truthful and rightful. And most times when I do a deal, we do deals only when we can stand in front of the deal and say, if the deal doesn't perform, I'll perform, you know? I will not do a deal if I don't have that level of confidence. And I, you know, that's the level of confidence that I really need to have to stand up there and go raise money. So my best source of, of, um, of raising capital is still through referral network. But at some point, you know, I do know that I need to get out of just friends and families and, you know, referrals and all that. And it needs to be an organic engine that, at this point, it is an organic engine that's kind of drawing the referrals in. I just needed to go out of the network a little more to open it up to a lot more. Because I think the biggest impediment for growth in in the syndication business is obviously lack of processes that won't. And some, some storm hits you, like I said, will basically blow it up. But biggest impediment is always capital, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, Krandi, what's your best advice for passive investors right now? Best advice for passive investors, really understand whom you're going to put money with, right? Deals work or sometimes deals work or don't work. People always do work, right? I've always invested and I, I'm a big passive investor even now. I put money, my money in a, with a few trusted syndicators that I've always done well with. And usually when they send me a deal, I'm really not even going through the entire underwriting of it because I trust the guy that I'm actually doing the deal with. Um, and that's important for a passive investor. Absolutely look at the numbers, absolutely look at the location, look at the debt, look at all the other factors, but look at the group that's putting the deal together, look at whether they are operating like a business look at whether they have you know past performance is not a guarantee of future performance but past performance with the right people usually guarantees that you don't lose your money the best 
the most the worst thing in an investment that you could do is lose your shirt on as long as you don't lose your principal i think you're done okay with with and within a real estate investment compared to the stock market you're always going to do better like the stock market no one gives like even your best financial advisor does not beat the market even your my worst real in, real estate investment deal has always done better than the market so you know if you actually pick your um gps right you that's a home run what are some habits that you're disciplined about uh, that that have produced the highest return for you time management yeah that's something that i've uh, learned the very very learned very hard way i'm still a work in process and i'm productivity is something that's very high on my agenda because of the number of balls i juggle in a day so being very protective of time and i spend a lot of time on family and you know kids and all that but being protective and prioritizing what gets my time over what what i won't give time to is i think the biggest you know my biggest value has come from that is i'm being very protective of what i will work on and not look at so yeah no it's it's a hard balance right it's hard to manage your time well not get distracted i i see it in my my boys all the time like man they're so easily distracted but then i just think about myself I'm like man so am i you know right so am i uh Franti, how do you like to give back i've always believed in you know paying forward what and i've i'm a product of someone someone coming out to give a helping hand and you know coming from basically very humble beginnings and able to do what i'm doing i'm always looking to do better in terms of giving back um we've we've basically have a, a fund scholarship that we go out to india where we have a lot of people and staff that come from underdeveloped portions of india and we go educate them on technology and try to get them jobs in the technology field by helping by helping them become employees of our company for about a year learn learn things and then go off to find jobs uh that's a that's a big area that i've the impact of one job that creates an entire family is just phenomenal right you have one person that does well in the family and just ch change the whole family dynamic so that's that's an area that i'm really bullish on i'm i'm very very passionate about it um i support our local indian temple um in um i'm a trustee there so do a lot of work for that so that's that's my way to give give back awesome kranti pleasure to meet you have you on the show and and your generosity today and and uh, i mean just talking through your uh, background of successful companies building su successful companies then bringing that to real estate i, I think it gives you such a uh, a leg up <laughs> than uh, without than guys without any business background right there's so much of the day to day uh, that you know you think you're just operating a piece of real estate but as you, if you want to scale there's it's so much more than that right it's so yeah. much bigger uh you know when you're running an organization uh, and so uh thank you again uh, just for your transparency today in a number of ways and helping us think about how you've scaled and how we can apply that to our businesses as well how can the listeners get in touch with you and learn more about you so krantipanam.com is my website i'm pretty active on linkedin Instagram, Facebook, all of those social media sites. Four Oaks Capital is the real estate syndication company that uh, you can reach out to me on. So any of those channels. 
Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show, brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate, while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.